the sixteenth chapter of Hilchas Malba Valeva, the laws of a lender and borrower. Today's parak contains twelve halachas and continues to discuss the various regulations regarding the repayment of loans. Parak Shisha Asur, the sixteenth chapter, halacha aleph. The loan, the debt, is the responsibility of the borrower until it is paid into the hand of the lender or the hand of his representative. Should it be stolen or lost, if this happens before it is actually given into the hands of the lender or into the hands of his appointed representative, the labor, the borrower is responsible to replace the amount. Let's say Omar Leham Malva's Rekli The lender told him, Throw to me the money and you will be exempt. And he followed, and the borrower threw it, but it became lost or was burnt up before it actually reached the hand of the lender. Potter, he is exempt, that even though it did not yet reach his hand, since here specifically the lender mentioned, throw it to me and you will be exempt. He, the, it is as if it is a condition which has been placed on the repayment of the loan by the lender. Since he says that you are exempt as soon as you throw it, as soon as he threw it, he is exempt. Let's say the lender specified, throw it to me, as is the law of a, of a get, a bill of divorce, which there are various laws and regulations governing how the get must be delivered from the husband's wife into the, from the husband's hand into the hand of his wife. In this case we do not look and see whether it reached actually the hands of the lender, we see how it conforms as far as the laws of Gittin are concerned. Therefore, should it still be closer to the borrower than the lender, he threw it and it landed closer to him than to the lender. It's still his responsibility. It's as if he never delivered it. However, should it land closer to the lender than the borrower, then he is exempt. Let's say it reached halfway in between. Should it land halfway in between the two, should it be lost or stolen from that place, then the the borrower has to return half of the money, as is the law by gift. And should it land closer to the husband, she's not divorced. Closer to the wife, she is divorced. Half and half, it's Suffolk Megureshes. Megureshes vein and Megureshes, as the Gemara says. So too, in this case, we consider it to be in, in the middle, and therefore he is responsible for half, and the other half is considered to have been delivered, and he is exempt. Halacha Beis. Let's say Reuben owed Shimon 100. Reuben told Levi that You shall bring to Shimon this money that I owe him. Reuben appoints Levi as a messenger to return the money to Shimon. Let's say after he has already appointed Levi as messenger, he changes his mind and does not want to pay back the debt. If Reuben comes to change his mind and tell Levi to come back, the law is that Levi is not allowed to be called back. That since when it comes to a loan, one is required to pay it back, at the moment he appoints Levi, it is as if Shimon himself has been Zeicha, has already gained control of this money. And therefore, since it now is already in the hands, so to speak, of Shimon, he is not allowed to call Levi back. Nevertheless, Levi, excuse me, Reuben is still responsible for this money until it reaches the hands of Shimon. And should it be lost or stolen from the hands of Levi, Reuben is required to pay. 
Let's say Hefzir Levi has someone to Ruven. Let's say Levi returned this hundred to Ruven after Ruven requested it. Levi should not have done so since the law is by a debt. One is not allowed to return the Shliach. Let's say he did bring it back. Shneim Chayovim Bachriyusei. Both of them, both Reuven, who originally borrowed the money, and Levi, the messenger, both are responsible for it. Until Shimon receives the entire amount which is owed him. In other words, should it be lost in the interim, and Shimon comes to claim Reuven for his money, should Reuven not have any money or anything with which to collect the debt, then Shimon can go to Levi, since Levi should not have returned the money to, to Reuven. Levi also bears responsibility. Should Reuven be unable to pay, Levi is required to pay. Let's say again, Reuven owed a mana to Shimon. However, Shimon tells Reuven, don't pay me. The mana that you owe me, you should give it to Levi. Evidently, Shimon owes Levi money. So Reuven owes Shimon. Shimon owes Levi. So Shimon, Shimon tells Reuven, give it directly to Levi. And all three of them were standing together. As the Gemara terms it, all three are standing. Levi accepted this term. Levi is not demanding to be repaid back from Shimon. He accepts this offer that Reuben should pay back Levi. And it turns out, when Levi goes to Reuben for his money, Reuben is poor. And he does not have any money with which Levi can collect his debt. Levi is allowed to go back to Shimon and demand his money from him, even though he agreed to accept the repayment from Levi. Because Shimon tricked him. Shimon evidently knew that Reuben was poor, and therefore he got out of repaying the loan by handing over the, the money which Reuben wouldn't have paid him anyway, and instead made it that Levi shouldn't be paid back. Therefore, Levi is allowed to, even though he accepted this deal, since he did not know that Reuben had no money, he can go back and demand his money from Shimon. However, However, if Levi knew that he was poor at that time, and even if, it, if not, even if he was rich at that time and later on lost his money between the time they were standing together and the time Levi actually comes to collect his debt from Reuben, in these cases, he is not allowed to return to Shimon to request his, his money, because he accepted this arrangement. He accepted that Reuben should give it to him. And even though Reuben might have been poor, Levi knew this and he accepted it. And if if Reuben was rich, he accepted that too. And should later on Reuben have lost his money, this is Levi's problem, not Shimon's. Since Levi accepted Reuben as a valid person to repay the money. Let's say this itself should be a matter of dispute. Levi claims that Reuben was poor at the time of the agreement and Shimon tricked him. But Shimon claims no, he was rich at the time we were standing together. Only later on did he lose his money. In this case, should we say that he was originally poor, Levi can collect the money from Shimon? If not, Levi is stuck and he won't be able to collect from Reuben either. What is it then? Yiroli, it appears to me, says the Rambam, Sha'al Shimon Lahaviraya, Ba'achakach Yipotr Mechayv Levi. It appears to me that it is Shimon's responsibility to bring a proof that he was rich at the time they were together. Should he be able to prove that, he will be exempt from the money he owes Levi. Why is it Shimon's responsibility to bring the proof? Because what is this machah, this statement that Shimon handed over the right of to collection of Reuben's loan over to Levi? This is effectively telling Levi, I paid you back already. I didn't pay you back the money directly, but I gave you Reuben's loan, which he owes me. I gave you this. 
So this is saying that he paid off. Therefore, it's like a shaver, it's like a receipt, so to speak. It's a, a proof, he's trying to prove that he already paid him off. Now, he must establish that this repayment was a valid repayment. He must prove that it is so. And therefore, lo ella shaver It's just as if he is holding a receipt in his hand, a shaver, proof of payment. So just like we say in the case of receipt, validate your, your receipt, and then you will be exempt. You say you have proof you repaid him, you must prove that you paid. So too in this case. You claim that you repaid him by giving him Reuben's loan. Let's show that it was valid. Because if you cannot prove it was valid, if, if Reuben was poor at the time where the three of you were standing together, it was not valid repayment. Therefore, you, you, Shimon, must prove that you repaid him validly and only then will you be exempt. Now we will see that this arrangement of Maimet Shloshtam, of transferring responsibility between three parties, only works if all three mutually owe each other money as we explained in Allah Gimel. We already explained in the laws of buying and selling, apparently referring here to Hilchus Mechira, Perik Vav. Let's say Reuben was not owed any money by Shimon. But Reuben did owe Levi a hundred. And Reuben made a macha, a statement, transferring the obligation of payment to Shimon. So Reuben tells Levi, while Shimon is standing there, that Shimon will pay you back. However, unlike in Halacha Gimel, where Shimon owed Reuben money, and therefore Reuben, who owes Levi, says that Shimon will pay him back. In this case, Shimon does not owe Reuben anything. In this case, even though the macha, the statement was made in the presence of all three, and nobody objected, it is not considered to be a Kenyan, it is not a binding transaction. And therefore, the choice is Shimon's. If Shimon doesn't want to give the money to Levi, he doesn't have to. If he decides to yeah, give it, he nevertheless can go back and request this money from Reuben. It's because of what Reuben said that he gave the money in the first place. But it's totally his choice. And so too, Levi can decide what to do. So too, if Levi wants to change his mind and say, I don't want to have my money from Shimon. I want to have it straight from Levi who owes me. Excuse me, from, from Reuben who owes him the money. He can go back and get the money from Reuben who originally owed him the money. And even if he, Levi already was paid back some of the debt by Shimon himself, indicating that he accepted this agreement, nevertheless, he can collect the remainder from Reuben. But since the agreement in the presence of three was not binding, he can collect a little bit from Shimon and later on get the rest from Reuben. A storekeeper who gives a person from his store whatever he wants as a loan. And he gives him credit until he adds up a total amount and then the person pays it off all at once. In other words, let's call him Reuven. Reuven buys from a storekeeper on credit. This Balabayas Reuven tells the storekeeper, Tain lapoilim sella, or labalchevi mona, sheyeshli Give my workers a sella, a certain amount of money, or give the person I owe money to a mona that, that I owe him. Bani etain and then I will reimburse you. In other words, add this on to my account. 
I already owe you money. Let me owe you a little more. And you give them the money which I owe them. The chenveni later on, the storekeeper says, I gave the money. The worker or the lender who Reuben owes money to, whoever they are, they say that they never took the money. There is a dispute whether the money was given or not. So the storekeeper comes back to Reuben and says, you owe me this money because I gave it to him. The poil, the worker, comes back to Reuben and says, you owe me the money because the storekeeper never gave. Who has to pay? The worker or the one that lended Reuben money to make, a, make an oath, as in any case where you take out the money from someone else, the law is you must take an oath similar to a Torah oath. So the poil, the worker, takes such an oath and collects his debt. And so too, the storekeeper also takes an oath and he collects his debt also. And he can collect it because it was Reuben that told him to give it in the first place. In other words, over here, Reuben will end up paying twice. He will end up paying the seller, which the storekeeper says he gave, and the seller, which he anyway owes the workers, since they say they never received it. And even though one of these two parties, either the storekeeper or the worker, is certainly swearing falsely, because it's impossible that both of them should be telling the truth, and nevertheless both of them are swearing, nevertheless our sage is allowed such an oath. However, they took steps to ensure that both people would not swear. All, all of them swear in the presence of each other. Should the worker be swearing, he must do it in the presence of the storekeeper. Or if the sto- and when the storekeeper is swearing, he must do it in the presence of the worker or the lender. In order that they should both be ashamed of each other, because each one, whoever it is that's lying, knows that the other one knows he's lying. Should the poil be lying, the chenveni knows he's lying. Because the chenveni knows he gave him the money, and the poil denies, says he never got the money. So therefore they must do it in each other's presence, in order to shame the liar into not swearing. So to any case. This oath is by enactment of the sages and it's holding a sacred object, a Torah scroll. Since both of them are taking out money, this is the law, by taking out money, and therefore if the storekeeper dies, and now it is his heirs that say that their father was owed money. In this case, the one that was owed the, owed the money by Reuben can collect without even taking an oath. Should the worker or the one that was owed the money by, by Reuben die, then the storekeeper can collect without a shvuah. Because here, the owner, Reuben, is not losing anything, and he's only paying back one. So why should we make him swear over here? The, the heirs of the estate cannot take an oath to take away the money from from Reuben, because they have no knowledge whether, in fact, the, the, the money was paid or not. For example, the heirs of the Chenveni, should the storekeeper die, his heirs cannot swear that their father gave out such money and thereby collect, because they don't know whether such money was given or not. Therefore, the only one that's left that can swear is the Pael or Baalchev. And him, you don't need to make him swear, because anyway, the, 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 the Baalabas... Reuben agrees that he owes money, so he'll pay it to the, to the worker, he'll pay it to the Baal Chayv. There's no reason to make him swear over here, because Reuben himself agrees. 
Allah above. The Rambam will tell us here that the Takanas Hachamim, the enactment of the sages, that the storekeeper should take an oath with holding a sacred object and thereby collect the money owed him by the Balabas, the one that he lends, is only in a case where both the Balabas and the Chenveni agree that such an agreement, that such a arrangement was made. Should there be a dispute between them, however, whether the storekeeper was assigned to discharge this money, then it goes back to any other case where one person is denying the claim of another. If the storekeeper claims, that you told me, you, Reuben, told me to give to this other person a man a hundred. Or you commanded and told me, if this person comes and gives him money. Reuben says, I never told you such a thing. So there is a dispute whether the storekeeper was assigned to do such a thing or not. In this case, Reuben simply makes a rabbinic oath and he is exempt from payment. As is any law of a kefir hakol, if one person denies the claim of another fully, then he merely takes a rabbinic oath and is exempt. So since the, the storekeeper's claim is being denied by Reuben, he takes a rabbinic oath and does not need to pay. I, the chenveni, still claims that he's owed money. The storekeeper can take out a, a judgment or bring to court the one that he claims was given the money. Should it be the worker of Reuven, he'll take the worker to court and claim the money which he says was taken from him. And so too, if the storekeeper tells the person who he is lending, who has an account in his store, it's written in my accounting book that you owe me a man a hundred. The, the person says, I don't know. If the person denies it, then certainly he would be a kefir hakol, and he would take a rabbinic oath and be exempt. Furthermore, even if he says he doesn't know, the person takes a rabbinic oath that he does not know, and he is also exempt. Just like is the case with anyone that claims against someone, and it is completely denied. And in this case, such a, such a case our sages did not enact that the chenveni, the storekeeper, should take an oath and thereby collect his money. It's a regular case of kefir hakol. Allah Chazayin. Reuven Reuven produces a document which shows that Shimon owes money to Levi. Normally Levi should be holding this document, but instead Reuven produces the document saying that Shimon owes Levi money. And he claims that the reason he has it is because Levi gave it to him. The Ksiva Umasira. With writing it, writing him a document and handing this document over to him. As the Rambam explained in the sixth chapter of Hilfus Mechira, that if one wants to sell a document or be makne a document to another person, there must be another document made out verifying that this, this document under consideration was actually given. That's Ksiva. You write another document verifying that this document is being transferred, and then you have Mesida, you actually hand the document over. So Reuben should be holding a proof that this document was actually given to him. However, he has lost, or at least he claims he has lost a document which is proof that this shtarchev was given to him. Or he claims that the document came to him by a second means of acquisition, as explained over there in Hilfus Mechira, that if one acquires land, that one could 
acquire this document al Gavakarka together with the land. In such a case, Reuben is allowed to collect this debt from Shimon since he is holding on to the document. Why else does he have it? Let's say Tom Shimon Shapatalulevi. Let's say Shimon claims that I have no complaints to you, Reuben, but I already paid off this debt. Levi was already paid. If you have any any complaints, take it to Levi. But Omar Yishovali, and he tells Levi, swear to me that you that you did not receive payment. As the law is, that even if someone produces a shtar, a document, saying that money is owed, although the borrower will have to pay, he can nevertheless force the lender to take an oath in order to collect, even with a document. So over here, Shimon wants, wants Levi to swear that he was not paid. And even though Levi is not collecting, Reuben is, nevertheless, Yeshava Levi le Shimon, Levi swears to Shimon that he was not paid, and then Reuben, who was holding on to this document, can collect from Shimon. Let's say, Levi admits that he was already paid, Yeshalem Levi le Reuben. Levi, who originally was the lender, must pay Reuben. So the amount which is in the document. Since Reuben purchased this document from Levi, and now the document is worthless because Shimon already paid it off, Levi is responsible for this loss. He has caused Reuben and must re- re- repay him for it. But let's say Levi denies the whole thing, that he never sold or gave this document to Reuben in the first place. Levi merely takes an oath, a rabbinic oath, as is in any case of Kefir Hakol, and he is exempt from any payment. Since Reuben has no proof that the document came legally into his hands. If a document was given over to a third party, that the lender trusted this third party to hold the document until it was paid. And he produced it in court for Omar. This third party said, that it's already been paid. Neman, he is believed that the document was already paid. Even if the document has already been validated in court, and therefore it is a fully a document with the full strength, he is nevertheless believed. Because he has a migoy. Should he have wanted, he could have burned up or ripped up this document. Since he was fully trusted by both parties to be in charge of this document, he could have done whatever he wanted with it, and there would have been no way to recover this loan. Therefore, if he says it is already paid, even should the Malva, the lender, say it was not paid, since he had the freedom to burn up this document if he wished, we believe him. And so too if this third party died. So too if this third party dies, we found a document among his among his documents that this that this that he is holding was already paid. So too in this case we also consider it paid. Even if there is no testimony, there are no witnesses on the document which he himself wrote, listing that this document was paid, nevertheless we trust this document to assume that it has already been paid. And the reasoning behind this is that since the lender entrusted him with this document, he has showed his implicit trust in the Shlish, and therefore we assume that he would not say or have written among his documents that this particular one was repaid, should it not be true. And uh, in some versions, the next halach, halachates begins here. 
In any case, now we compare that the document is not being produced by this third party. The document is being produced by the lender. However, a document which is produced by the lender, stating that this loan has already been paid, even it should it have been written by the lender himself. This is not something which is taken seriously. Perhaps he was doing it in a not serious way. For example, a lender might have prepared this document saying that it was already paid to give as a receipt should the borrower come to return the money at an inconvenient time. For example, he might come right before Shabbos and he's going to wait for his receipt. Perhaps there won't be enough time for him to make a receipt. And therefore, the borrower will not pay him the money back. To avoid such a situation, the lender could prepare receipts so he will not have to waste time. And should this receipt later on be found, stating that the, doc, that the loan has been paid, it would be invalid. It was just as if it was Masachek because it was not written seriously. He was merely waiting for the time when the, document, when the loan would be repaid. Therefore, even should such a document be, re, be produced, it's invalid. If, however, there were witnesses that signed on such a document, if their signatures are validated, then the document is considered already to have been paid. And because he wouldn't write such a document and get witnesses on it, should he not have meant it seriously. However, if there is no no validation of the signatures. We ask the witnesses that are signed on this receipt. And should these witnesses not know what was going on, or should they be unable to be found, since it is being produced by the lender himself, or being produced by his heirs, should, should he die, the document is worthless. This is not a valid receipt. As we explained before, perhaps it was written merely to be used as a proof in the event he should be paid. And this explains perfectly why it is in the hands of the Malva himself, or in the hands of his heirs. Because he would not have given it until he was finally paid. However, if, however, the lender found this document saying that the, the, that the loan was paid, among other documents which were already paid. In this case, we assume that it already was repaid. Even if there were no documents on this, uh, on, uh, on, there were no witnesses signed on this document. Why? Because since it was found among the documents which were already paid, we assume that it was not merely made in preparation of that, that it really already was paid. And so too, if we find written on this document itself that it was paid, not that there's another document saying that it was paid, but written on this document itself, which has the loan on it, in this document itself it says it was paid. Whether it was written on the front of the document, where the writing is, perhaps between the lines, and whether it was written on the back, on the blank side, and even on a part of it, and the shach, uh, say that this should really be the Katsosi, even on the very edge of the document. And it's written over there that that this document was already paid, or a certain amount has been paid, 
We go according to what was written. Even though there should be no witnesses on this statement, and even should it be produced by the lender himself, and we suspect, we have reason to think, that it was never really given as a receipt. Nevertheless, we believe that it was paid. Because if it had not really been paid, he never would have written anything on this document itself. He wouldn't ruin the strength of this document unless it really was repaid. Therefore, we believe what is written. If a person finds a document among his piles of documents, he doesn't know what this document is. He sees that one person owes the other one money. And he doesn't know who gave it to him. Was it the lender that gave it to him, waiting for repayment? Or was it the borrower that gave it to him, as proof that he already paid it? And should he return it to one or the other, they will be able to use it as proof, either to get out of repayment, or to collect. It should remain sitting by him until Eliyahu Anavi comes, who can clarify exactly what the situation is. In other words, they must make a, reach a legal judgment on this without using the shtar. Since he is not sure who owns it, he can return it to neither of them. And now the final halacha of the perek, halacha yudbeis. For this halacha, it is important to remember the principle of hametzi mechavere olavaraya. If one person wishes to take money against away from another, he must have a clear proof. Ha'emer lebonov, if a person tells his children, a person on his deathbed, commands his children, says, that one document, among the pilot of documents I have, of people that owe me money, one of them is already paid. Although it looks like all of them have not been paid, one of them is in reality paid. But I don't know which one it is. And then he dies, and the heirs want to collect the debts. The law is that all of these documents are considered to have been paid. Because each individual borrower can claim that mine was the one which was really paid off. And we will have to believe him because we don't know which one was actually paid off. And so to Nimsa Echad Shom let's say that there were two documents over there and to one person. One person had two loans over there. So obviously, both of them, he cannot claim that they were paid since only one document was said by this dying person to have been already paid. And he has two documents. Certainly, he owes one of them. The question is, one of them is larger than the other. Which one should we assume has been paid and which one is unpaid? The law is Hagodl Perua Vakotan Eina Perua. We consider the larger one to have already been repaid and the smaller one considered not to have been repaid. And again the principle is Since we want to take away money from this borrower, we must have a clear proof. Since we have no proof as to which one it is, we only have proof that one of them has not been paid. Therefore, it should be the, the smaller one which we assume has not been paid and that's the one he is responsible for. And so to Omer Lachavera, if one person tells another, Shtar Prua, that one document, he admits, that one document that I have against you has been paid. So too in this case, Hagodl Prua Vakotenena Prua. We consider the larger one to have been repaid and the smaller one not to have been repaid. Because again, he admitted only to one. He wants to later on claim that he meant that the lower one, the smaller one was the one which was paid. Later on, he, he cannot do so. He already admitted that only one of them was. And I'm Mechavera Olavaraya. And so too, and even more so, if he says, that 
The debt has been already paid. If he says the debt, it could be understood in two ways. Perhaps he means one individual document. Or when he says chayv, perhaps he means all of the money you owe me, collectively speaking. So in this case, any of the documents which he might have, all of them are considered to have been paid. That since it's possible to, to understand his words, that the debt has been paid, it's possible to understand it on the total sum of all the debts. We assume that this has been the case since and therefore all of them are considered to have been repaid and the borrower is exempt.